Hello and welcome back to another episode of Untick the Box Season 2. I'm Maya, normally behind the scenes as a producer, but today I'm your host. We are joined for this episode by Zareen Ruhi Ahmed, the CEO of Gift Wellness, to talk about her journey, company, new book, and how your career can give back to society in a meaningful way. I am personally very excited to talk to her, and without further ado, let's get started. Hi, Zareen. So great to have you on the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time um, out of your very busy schedule to talk to us. How are you doing today? Wonderful, thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Thanks for the uh, the invitation to do this. I'm I'm really pleased, really thrilled. Absolutely, we are so happy to have you here. Before we start talking about your extensive career, we'd love to hear where it all started. So could you tell us where you grew up and how that impacted your life as you see it today? So I was born in in the West Midlands in a, a town called Stourbridge, is where most of my family is still. My older sister's in London and one or two others are around, but most of them are, are still in the West Midlands and I'm in Derby now. But I, I grew up with five other siblings. Um, my parents came over from Pakistan in the 60s. So I had two siblings, a brother and a sister that were born in Pakistan. And then I was born here. I was the first one that was born here. And I have two sisters and a brother younger than me who were born here as well. And um, yeah, we had a fantastic, I, I only have happy memories of my childhood. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot, but we had fun and we were, my mum and dad were just fun people and they were always, um, there was always laughter in our, in our home and, um, and gratitude for everything that we had. And, and then I went to art college and then I, I ended up at Loughborough University and, and uh, met my husband there, um, Ash, and um, and and then got married in married to a boy from Derby, and I've been here ever since. And uh, and I studied originally. I was studying um, graphic design and marketing, and uh, I was I was specialising in illustration. But it was that point where you know, when everything switched to being computerized. So I'd learned all my skills of make, you know, designing and, and illustrating by hand. And as soon as I left, everything switched to, you know, uh, computers, basically. So it was a case of, you know, reskilling. And, and then, um, I decided because I loved illustration so much. I decided to go into community arts work, and I, I always wanted to work in the charity sector and the community. And I didn't really like the commercial world of advertising um, and working in an agency, which I did to begin with. But um, and and I didn't like the deadlines. I wanted to take my time with my illustrations and paintings and things. And um, so I, I took on this job as a, a freelance freelance job as a community arts worker, and um, and that led to the next job, and then the next job. You know, it was 
painting um, a mural in a subway in the city centre in Derby with students from the Royal School for the Deaf. And it was just, I just sat, found it so fulfilling working with those those kids. And um, I knew that whatever I did next, it needed to be more in the community and less sort of, um, sort of commercial. And, um, and then I, I went, I had two kids. So I had a daughter, Halima, and my son, Fizan, and uh, quite young, you know, <laughs> in my early 20s. And, um, and it was, and I, so I freelanced so that I was flexible while they were babies. And, and then it wasn't until they went to school, both of them were in kind of full time preschool and school, that I applied for a job. Uh, and um, and I was the in a team which was an it was an urban regeneration project for Derby, and it was to regenerate the inner city of Derby. And I was the arts officer for that. So arts and leisure fund. I was a funder for arts and leisure projects, and I progressed to being a manager quite quickly in that, even though I was only in my twenties, and. Um, and and that was my first kind of proper job. And then I went to the NSPCC, the children's charity, for five years as a fundraising and marketing manager, which I just loved. Um, and then from there to, you know, I just kept progressing in management. And then I was working for um, a, a Quango, a government-funded, home office-funded project, which was all to do with volunteering it was about getting people over 15 to volunteering jobs and um and it was like a, a job center for people over 50 linking them with community projects that needed their expertise and um and then i was headhunted into uh, a job which was a ceo job for a a, comp a, a charity called the BMF, the British Muslim Forum. And I'd never worked in the religious sector. You know, I was from the black country. I was kind of, you know, I, I had a good balance of my, my sort of, my mum and dad's culture and religion. And, and, you know, I was very English as well. So, and, you know, I went to art college, so... I went through all the the phases <laughs> of a teenager and so on. So, um, you know, it was a bit of a shock to my system as well to work in that sector. And that was, it. basically, it was after the 7-7 bombings in London. And um, they were looking for somebody who had experience of working with government, with the media, and with the community. So... Um, and bonus, I was a woman, and they—I was the first Muslim woman to lead a national organisation, probably in Europe. So um, it was pretty, pretty amazing jumping in the deep end there, 
Yeah. And it's amazing how very early on you found that what you really wanted out of a career was to be based in the community and giving back and really making a difference, which when I, so we obviously first met at the a period justice event in East London back in November, 2022. And for me, it was the first time hearing about your career and uh, gift wellness, which we'll talk about. Um, I was like, wow, you can actually have a career that really makes a difference and has this incredible impact. Just great to hear. <laughs> You're amazing. You're amazing um, career trajectory. Um, and what's one thing you wish you'd known before starting your career? Um, I wish I'd known the value of my um, sort of dual culture you know, and um, rather than always trying to fit into the the English sensibilities and the English culture, and uh, you know, I had a very strong, rich history and heritage, and um, and I think because of things like racism and. Um, you know that kind of unwanted attention. Um, I was we moved house to another part of the West Midlands um, called Briley Hill um, when we were when I was just starting secondary school, and I was the first non-white person in my school, and my parents thought they were doing the best for us because it was a good school, but um, I went from a very mixed race school to an all-white school and I was the first non-Muslim and a non, non-white person yeah non-white person um, mm. and um, and it was it was uh, I got all the wrong kind of attention it was either racist attention or it was teachers trying like pushing me to the front you know you'll be the lead in the play you know, because you're the token, sort of, <laughs> you know, you're the, mm. you're the little bit of, um, uh, the only bit of diversity we've got in the school. <laughs> so I had to develop a thick skin, you know, and I, and I think as a child being thrown into that situation, it, you, um, uh, I was, I was too busy trying to fit in and to be like them. And I think that, the net mine those formative years by the time I mean in the second year my sister was the second person of, of color and the third year there are a few more other people as well and uh, and you know by the time my, my younger brother joined um, and I was a prefect and you know I was looking at I was quite tough by that point I'd I developed this thick skin and no one was going to mess with my brothers and sisters. Um, So um, I kind of positioned myself. It was always a case of where can I position myself to protect myself and my, and, and my tribe, my friends and those who are close to me. Mm. And I always found one thing, a good thing that came out of that was that I always supported the underdog I would never, I was never part of cliquey groups of girls or, you know, I wasn't, I, I'd never, even though I was trying to fit in to the culture, I never sort of, um, uh, you know, followed around 
the usual suspects of you know the lead the leaders the peer group pressure I never I never went for that um I always stuck with the one who had no friends or the ones who you know who needed a friend um and I think that came from my parents so it took a while to kind of balance get that balance right of my identity no absolutely and um my dad also was the one you know maybe not the one but very much in that minority at his school growing up like he was like oh you know we need somebody for the picture of the cricket team and we need somebody for this picture so that we have that you know diversity in our in our picture and I think it's really important to share that experience um, because I just don't think people necessarily aware that that was the reality very recently, Um, a very common reality for a lot of people. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that with us. So from the British Muslim Forum, how did you get to gift wellness? And could you also introduce gift wellness to um, our listeners and all of the amazing work you do there? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, what happened from when I was at the BMF. Um, I, so I was in this amazing, like, real, very, you know, I was still quite young, jumped right in the deep end in, as a CEO of this, um, this organi- quite new organisation at a very volatile time. And I was travelling around the world whenever there was a something controversial or a bomb scare or this or that there was a lot of that going on at the time I had to be ready for the media and um, on the 24th and 25th of November 2007 I was delivering a speech uh, on a stage at the Excel Centre in London um, at the Global Peace and Unity event And alongside me, there was the chief rabbi, the head of, you know, the archbishop, the various celebrities, various politicians, uh, Sadiq Khan, and all these sorts of um, celebrities and and VIPs and politicians. And, um, And I was representing the BMF and the Muslim community and trying to contextualize what was going on at the moment because the Muslim community were were had had a negative spotlight on them and it was about unity and uplifting everyone and working together and creating peace you know and um, my daughter and my son and my husband were there with me sitting on the front row cheering me on and uh, it was it was an amazing event and my daughter who had just um she'd just actually started university uh six weeks before at nottingham trent to study international relations and global politics and to specialize in third world development was she was managing my stand and all the volunteers and organizing everyone um and she'd suddenly just blossomed and grown up and developed this confidence you know because she'd just started uni she was on her her dream course um and me and Halima we we'd we had a pact that after she finished that course that 
we would work together and we'd have our own charity. We'd, she was the same as me. <laughs> and, and um, you know, when other mums and daughters were talking about the latest fashions or music or EastEnders or whatever, we would be talking about, you know, these things, about environmental projects, uh, you know, the Anita Roddick story and how she started Gift Wellness and what we could do. And, um, you know, we had those kinds of dreams, uh, joint dreams. And um, so we came back from London uh, really elated and really sort of uplifted. Um, and the next day, uh, Halima went to uni and uh, didn't come back. And um, basically she had been stalked by a mental health patient, um, an asylum seeker, and ironically a refugee from Iraq, which, you know, was all, that's, that, that was the work that I was doing. It was about, about, you know, it's a, it was a, as a result of the Iraq and Afghanistan war and the war on terror and all that. And, um, and I, my part of my job was supporting refugees and asylum seekers. And, um, and she was abducted and murdered a few streets from where we live. Um, and the asylum seeker then committed suicide. Uh, and so straight after that happened, pretty much, I decided that I wasn't going to carry on working at the, at the BMF and my, my contract was coming to an end. So I took gardening leave and, you know, the rest of, for the rest of the time. And, um, and I knew that I had to, um, do something that would keep me connected with Halima. And uh, so I decided to do this charity work uh, that we were going to do together and we established a charity called the Halima Trust. And I spent the next three years uh, immersed in that work, fundraising for a school for orphaned and needy girls in Pakistan. And in 2011, April 2011, we we launched the the um, we inaugurated the Halima School of Excellence for four hundred and thirty four girls, something like that, um, and um, over four hundred girls. Many of them were from the earthquake region. There was an earthquake the year before in Kashmir, and um, and others were from very poor homes in that region of the Punjab, where that was quite poor. And they had a boys' boys school, but they didn't have a girls' school there. So um, April 2011, I'm sitting in the airport lounge in Lahore, having just inaugurated the school, and we were on our way back to England. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, what do I do now? I w I'd reached that milestone, kind of ticked that box, and, you know, it had been a very healing process for me and kept me very connected to Halima, uh, constant connection with her. And I was feeling quite anxious. I knew I'd never work for anyone again. 
but I didn't know what it, what I would do. Um, and I hadn't really earned anything for like three years, you know. Um, and, and, and so I, I kind of sat down and I picked up this magazine to distract myself. And it opened up, I think it was Time magazine or one of these sorts of magazines. It opened up at this, this article about women in the Zatari Syrian refugee camp on the border of Jordan and Syria. And um, and it described all the the sort of you know the horrific things they they went through, but focused specifically on how they were forced to tear strips off the bottom of their dresses to fold up into makeshift sanitary pads. And at that moment, my like. I don't know if I actually stood up, but in my head it feels like I stood up. Um, at that moment, I saw myself giving giving pads to these women, and I knew that that that's what I was going to do next. And I'd never had a business before. I'd never worked in in that sector and had never sold anything really. Um, but I, I could see that end goal and I knew that whatever I did had to lead to that. And so, and that was the birth of Gift Wellness, which is now 11 years old. It's a social enterprise um, with around 30 products, um, starting with our natural menstrual products. Um, you know, sanitary pads and tampons and uh, washable, reusable pads, um, cups and all, all those things, as well as plastic-free shampoo bars, conditioner, body wash, face wash, intimate wash, all of those, a whole range of cleansing bars as well. All of our products are plastic-free and um, not packaged in any plastic or anything like that, all paper and um, and for every pack we sell, so when we sell our menstrual pads, menstrual products, we donate products to women in crisis, and we've donated over six and a half million so far to um, alleviate period poverty uh, around the world. So whether it's refugee camps or whether it's... Um, homeless women here in the UK and food banks and and uh, women's projects and hostels and that sort of thing um, we you know we don't want to say no to anyone that is just amazing how many people you have been able to support and help obviously when we met at the Pyrrhus justice event it menstrual products are just such a necessity um, and I think through your work, you've really highlighted how it's not taken as that. And also, again, like the amazing fact that all of your products are not just amazing, uh, you know, they give back to um, people in crisis, but they're also good for the planet and the importance of having that as a core part of uh, gift wellness as well. Um, have you found it? Uh, this is more of just a question for me. <laughs> Um, how did you find that process of making sure that there weren't any plastic uh, products in the menstrual products? So that's been a, a, a gradual process because when I first started the business, the, 
I mean, my priority was um, during my um, research and development of, for, for, for my products. At first, I thought I'll just buy products that are already manufactured and sell those. But 90, over 90% of them were very, very toxic. And the rest of them were packaged in plastic. So um, my number one priority, and it explained why my sort of, my menstrual health wasn't amazing, wasn't great either. I realized that it was because of the toxic products that I was using. And, um, and so I designed my own products and I not only took out the, the, the petrochemical build, you know, layers of, of various materials, which are, uh, um, you know, they're made from, from different plastics and chemicals and, and uh, different elements that, that are, that would be considered waste. You know, they're, they're really not good for your health when you, when it, when something comes into contact with your, your body heat, um, the heat from your body will activate whatever's in the product and it will permeate your body and and then that sends a message to your brain to kind of go on lockdown and and uh, and and become tense and hold on to that fluid and then it lets it out in bursts and lumps and all sorts and then you get more pain and more tension and headaches and all the rest of it as a result you feel a lot worse in yourself so when you remove those toxins um then your body can relax and it flows naturally. But then in addition to removing the toxins, I decided to put in an added element that is made, it's a, a layer that goes under the top layer, which is made from tourmaline. And tourmaline is a, a mineral stone uh, which naturally emits negative ions. Sounds very uh, sci-fi, but... <laughs> the negative ions zap the positive ions in the air which are it's kind of an electric current that's in the stone and so the stone is pulverized and made into a resin and um and it's inserted under the top layer of the pads and so the positive ions kill the negative ions the negative ions are emitted from the tourmaline kill the positive ions which are bacteria and things like that and that, that gets rid of infections, bad odours, um, you know, bacteria is what causes bad odours, um, and, and all kinds of things that, that, um, that can make you uncomfortable um, during your period. And also it regulates your, the, the cycle, so you become more regular and you just... I mean, the main uh, reviews that we get are just women saying, I just feel better every month. It's just easier. You know, um, I'm not having that migraine every time I have a period. I'm not having that that uh, soreness and all that sort of thing. I don't get the friction from these when I'm working out and uh, all these sorts of things. And, um, and then in terms of the plastic, so at the beginning, the bottom layer of the pads, the, the part that sticks to your underwear, you know, that 
that was still plastic because it, it was a semi-plastic but it was still had plastic in it because the alternatives were still just being created you know the new plastics were just coming out at that time we're talking 10 years ago 11 years ago and um and so that's been a gradual process now the products even the bottom layer the wrapper that it comes in and everything are made from um corn starch so uh it's the starch from corn that's turned into a, a plastic and uh, and all the resins like the glue that sticks to your underwear and the glue on the wrapper and things like that it, it's um vegetable resin and uh and yeah so now they are plastic free but um where every time we have a new batch made it gets better and better and better because the technology is getting better and they become more sustainable and the materials are better every time because it, it's moving quite rapidly this industry is because there is a demand which is fantastic so it's a consumer demand for products to be you know uh, affordable and sustainable mm, it really sounds like gift wellness is at the forefront of that innovation and always making sure that whatever uh, consumer demand has then created that you're incorporating that into because Maya a lot of there are a lot of uh, sort of organic and you know organic cotton and organic and bamboo and people are using all these amazing organic materials and and natural materials that's fine but they also have to perform well it's not just about sustainability and about environmental issues you know number one should of course it should be the health of women and how well they perform for us the users um so for me that was the number one thing i wanted women to feel good you know and um that came with some compromises at the beginning in terms of the you know the, the sustainability aspects but you know i knew that it would that, that that side of the industry would catch up um but my number one priority has always been i was i used to picture the women in the refugee camps who are having such a hard time and then you give them toxic pads which make them depressed and make them make their cycles even heavier and and that sort of no i wanted to give them pads that will help them and make them feel better so that was always the number one priority um now thankfully that the manufacturing processes has uh, it is getting better and better and and now that we can get affordable you know uh plastic alternatives as well so you know it's it's great for the industry no and it sounds like from the positive reviews you've shared that you really are achieving that number one goal that you set out for and with gift wellness what are the challenges that you faced since since starting it 11 years ago i guess the biggest one has been during covid when uh, cuz before covid you know soon after i started uh we got into Holland and Barrett and you know those sorts of chains and and um and lots of hundreds of independent stores were selling our products and i had distributors 
in Europe and Brexit dealt with that side of the business um, not very well. And um, and then, so during COVID, I lost 90% of my retailers because they closed, they were closed and we didn't know when they would reopen. So I had to sort of start my business from scratch pretty much and pivot the business from a B2B business selling to uh, retailers to a B2C business selling selling direct to my customers and uh, hope that my customers will find me because you know the shops were shut where they normally get their 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 gift pads from so um they would look online so i had to very quickly get a social media profile that i i didn't have i had a twitter account and that was about it so i had to really quickly build up a social media uh, profile and uh, and where you know so for the last two years we've been rebuilding gift wellness um the advantage is that i believe that everything happens for a reason and the advantage of that happening and I, i'm glad that it happened now you know at the time it was oh my gosh you know businesses as as we knew it was gone and we have to start again um but this way, there isn't a huge chunk of the profit going to another retailer, and that can and that enables us to do more charity work. So now we can, you know, we've managed to do so many additional things, and not just the charity work, um, new products that help women in different settings, whether it's at school, in the workplace. And, and uh, you know, we've developed an app for period poverty as well now called Period Angels. Um, it's on iOS and, uh, and Android. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it's enabling us to do a lot more and go wider and, and really uh, find all the pieces of the jigsaw, the mosaic that will... Um, help us to create the kind of world that we want our daughters and granddaughters to grow up in. Just incredible. With Gift Wellness, I think you, I mean, you've already shared so many amazing things that you've um, achieved, but are there any achievements that you're really, really proud of? Um, so, you know, these new products that are, um, that are now launching and, and, uh, and have launched. So there's, first of all, the Period Angels app, it's a free app and it's part of the charity. It's the Gift Wellness Foundation and Gift Wellness um, working in partnership to do this. Um, it was when I was, I was in Lebanon uh, distributing what we called uh, dignity kits to women in refugee camps last year in August. And uh, not, not this year, the year before, 22. And, uh, you know, it was it was harrowing, but it was really important for me to to do that with my own hands to be giving pads to those women. You know, it was that vision that I saw in the airport, you know, uh, 11 years before, 12 years before. And um, I was sitting in 
I was in my uh, hotel room in Beirut in between the distributions in the refugee camps and uh, my phone was pinging away for it was inquiries from from the office uh, from organizations that needed um, products from uh, people who wanted to volunteer and collect products to give to organize to give us to give to organizations so we were the bridge between them and then users people saying where can I get free products because I can't afford them and so on so there are these three parties, organisations, volunteers and users, and we were the bridge between them. And I needed, I thought, gosh, you know, we can't handle this much because especially since COVID, the, the demand just has shut up. And um, did you know that there were more food banks than there are McDonald's in this country? you know and and you know stats like that so um i need to, I, I thought right i need to find a, a way to streamline this process and and basically i i designed an app called period angels and um and the idea is that if you're an organization you put your profile on and you 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 say what products you have um, or you know what you, and what you need um, if you're a volunteer then uh, or you, you're someone who wants to help um, you could be a, a group in a corporate setting you know a work group a team or kids in school you know a group of students at, or at a university or a school who want to do a collection so you you create a profile as a volunteer create a profile as an organization and if you're a user and you're looking for pads and um, you can create a profile as a user so so the idea is that if you're a volunteer you can go on to the app and you can find local organizations that need product so you can then create you can download our volunteer pack from the app and um, and have have your event and do your collection and then on the map you can see which organizations near you need the products if it's an organization they're they're on there for volunteers and users so as a user you just simply go onto it the map pops up and you can see which organizations are closest to you that have products that you need and you just go and pick them up um, and it'll navigate you to those to those um, organisations, whether it's a food bank or a, a different pickup point, um, we're currently piloting Period Angels stations within um, eight GP practices around the country, and in January, end of January, early February, we hope to roll that out nationally across um, GP surgeries. So, um, because we thought that is a perfect starting point because every community has a GP practice um, and it's a trusted place it's a safe place where you can go and pick up products so um, that's one thing that's happening um, another thing that's happening is uh, we're, we're encouraging on our website 
um, if you go to giftwellness.co.uk and you go to workplaces, you'll see um, that we're encouraging workplaces to get a dispenser where you can get free products, free tampons and free um, free pads. You don't have to put a coin in or anything. They just come out. And um, so a dispenser in every washroom. We want to dis every workplace to have a dispenser in every washroom so you simply go onto the website go to workplaces choose your dispenser select the your products and how often you want your products so set up a subscription for pads and tampons and that's it it's done and just like you have toilet roll you also have pads and tampons in your loos um, because a lot of organisations are starting to, to do that now, supply um, products. But um, a lot of them that I speak to, they, they only have like a little box or a basket and you take what you need and then they expect you to put some back as well when you can. But then the onus is again on the, on the, on the person that needs the products. And it's not a risk it's not really taking responsibility for your female uh, and menstruating staff um, and, and clients that are coming to your building. Um, the onus shouldn't be on, on the woman. It should be on, it shouldn't be on the, the staff, the worker, because it's not a choice. Um, it should be on the workplace. It should be on the bosses. Um, so the the employer so that's the other thing that we're, we're working on and the last thing that i'll mention is our our training consultancy so we're about to launch um ffw female friendly workplaces um which utilizes vr technology so um we've gamified this training because what we realized was that um this was during covid when I was thinking about all the other things that, you know, are needed for women to grow up in a healthy environment where they can just be women and not have to, um, you know, pretend to be men, you know, we can, you know, and where their bodily functions don't hold them back. And, um, and, and, and so, Basically, instead of sitting in, in, a, in a classroom setting, in a training environment, uh, where it would be very awkward to talk about periods and because of all the stigmas and taboos, you're not going to open up about these issues and say what you're experiencing um, if you're sitting next to your boss or male you know, counterparts in your organisation. It's not going to be a relaxed environment. So instead, we do groups of 10 in this training. They put on a VR headset, an Oculus headset, and it's very interactive. And they go, they basically step into the shoes of a, a woman in the workplace who's menstruating. There is um, a black pregnant woman in another scenario. There is a menopausal woman. There's a man with mental health issues another man who wants um, parental leave, they've been through IVF and they want 
he wants parental leave, but he's in a very male organ, male sort of dominated um, environment. And and there is another man who is um, who's suffering from an invisible disability. So we do cover other discrimination aspects as well, but the main focus is about creating female-friendly workplaces and breaking down these taboos and normalising these conversations. And what happens is when you step into someone's shoes through the, you know, in the headset, you're just in their head and their their shoes and going through what they're going through, that creates empathy. And that's the key word. When you create empathy, then things can change. So many things that you are doing. Um, that is just incredible how many different things you are developing and bringing to the world to, as you say, build empathy and create change. Um, I think a lot, I, I'm, I'm guessing, and I really do think that a lot of people are going to be listening this like me and very inspired. Um, and how would you, would you, do you have any advice for people that are listening and thinking, wow, this is incredible. What can I do to create change? What can I do to put myself in a position where things that you're created are embedded within the societies that you're creating it for? You really deeply understand the problems that you're trying to solve and um, finding innovative ways to, you know, with the Angels app, connect the key players to allow this change to happen. How can people put themselves in a situation where they're able to create the amazing change that you're able to create? Um, I mean, one of the things that I talk about in my book, you know, one of the, the key messages in the book is not to wait for the trauma to happen first, not to wait for the hardship to, to inflict itself upon you first. You know, make the decision before that happens to to change your life, to do what you're, you know, what is it that you really want to do in your life? You only have one life on this earth. So, you know, what are you going to do to, to, um, to make it the best life you possibly can? And, um, you know, for me, uh, when I, when I set the, the title for my book, The Gift, um, it was, people are asking me, why, why are you calling it the gift? Um, and, uh, and they said, oh, it must be because of your, because the brand is gift. And it's the same font as well. And I said, no, that's not right. And they said, oh, oh well, oh, it must be because of your daughter. You know, your daughter was the gift. It's because of her that you're doing all of this. And I said, well, yeah, but no, that's not why I chose this title. And they said, oh, then... Um, uh, it must be the gifts that you give, the charity, you know, that you give. That's why you called it the gift. And um, and I say, no, the gift, what I mean by the gift, what is the gift? The gift is the test itself, the hardship that I endured, the trauma that I went through with my daughter being murdered, believe it or not, is the gift. Because if that hadn't happened, then we, you know, we have over a thousand girls in the Helima School and college. We have a college as well now. Thousands and thousands, millions of women that we've helped in refugee camps and homeless women and food banks and 
you know, that all those lives that we've touched, that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, thanks to my faith, um, I know that it's a temporary separation from my daughter and that this life is so short and fleeting that I have this sense of urgency and I, I can't wait to tell her that we did it. We, you know, that promise that we made to each other, that pact that we made, look what we've done. You know, and, uh, you know, when I pray, you know, I, I'm a Muslim, I pray five times a day. And when I pray, I pray that, you know, I pray to God to not take me until he's satisfied with me and that I've done enough to be there with my daughter and be able to say that we did it, you know, that we, we did all the things that we wanted to do. Um, so I guess my message is that, you know, there is, you can, uh, you know, everyone has hardship, everyone has, every, whether it's, whether it's just that you are in a, a boring job, you know, that to me is the greatest hardship. I can't imagine being in that situation. You know, I, I get very easily bored. You know? And that for me is the worst nightmare to be in a horrible job. Um, whether it's, you know, something that you've suffered in your childhood or, or whether it's a, some, a tragedy, you know, like mine. Uh, I hope not, but, you know, some people have. And, but what I'm saying is that um, you can channel that negative energy, use that as your fuel. You know, it's, for me, it's the fuel is the love for my daughter is trans transformed into the, the fuel that, it's, uh, you know, the currency of that fuel is love. And, um, and, it, and it has made me a richer, better person. And that's the greatest wealth, you know. And so, and that's what I'm trying to, to put across in the book. So it's not just the, the story. It's not just a biography. It's, a, it's my playbook for anyone who wants to do something great in their lives, who wants to transform their, you know, they might be happy and doing well, but they have a dream of doing something big in their lives. And, uh, and, it, and it's that this book will hopefully help them to, to get them on the right path to do that, to achieve that. And if they, if they, are interested in social enterprise then this is a book to read because I've made all the mistakes you know I literally the first few years especially I, I well I'm still doing it I'm still bootstrapping after Covid and uh, you know Mr Beamed my way here <laughs> I often say you know and it's it's um, it's about realizing what your potential is you know, that we all have that potential within us. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing um, that. And thank you much so much for sharing your uh, story with us. Very exciting news about your book. So the, the full title is uh, The Gift, One Woman's Journey from Tragedy to Triumph, Building a Global Business for Good and Supporting Women in Crisis. 
and a huge congratulations on becoming the number one seller on Amazon. I know. That's what an achievement. Thank you. And you know, I painted, I use one of my artwork as well. The, uh, there's a big canvas in my office, and I actually, it's a watercolor. And the idea was um, that, because I gave it to a designer first, and, and it just wasn't right. It didn't depict what I wanted it to, to say. Um, but the idea is that, is that the, the bottom of it depicts the kind of turmoil and the grief, and it's all confused. And then as we started the work and the charity and gift wellness, the pieces of this this mosaic come together to create what I was talking about, that to try to create the kind of world that we want to live in, you know, that we want our, our daughters to live in. Um, and that the and my life, the the beautiful mosaic of my life. Obviously, this is this is a podcast that is here to help people uh, with their career and what they would like to do in the future. So with your wealth of experience and knowledge, um, what advice would you give someone wanting to start their career that makes a positive impact? So I've already shared about the gift. Is there any extra, extra advice you would like to share? I would say um, learn to visualize your goal. So similarly to how it was when you when you train yourself to visualize the end goal it's what athletes do and what you know every successful person does um that vision that i had in the airport of me giving pads to women that was the catalyst for everything and and i go through a process in the last chapter of my book which is the gift process, and it's a, a it takes you from you know uh, from where you are now to a point where you've got your vision. It's it's there, and um, and and you're ready to actually you've got a plan and a vision, and you you're ready to embark on this new journey. So. Um, so yeah, I would say visualize, learn to visualize properly. And when you visualize, you have to feel that emotion with it. It's not just an image and you have to learn to look at it every day and, and remember it every day. It should be there. It should be such a an impactful vision that you feel it in your gut and it it makes you like you know when you're so excited about something you can't eat or drink or or do anything and you wake up with that sense of urgency and excitement it needs to have that level of impact so i think i think that probably and i think that should be taught in schools absolutely and my final question for you is you know, what, what are you planning for the upcoming years and what change would you like to see in the world with your work? I mean, all the products that I that I mention, I want the app to, by the end of 2024, I want it to be in every, I want there a period for period angels to become a community-led self-sustaining process where we're not waiting for government to make them free. We're not, you know, we will look after our own in our community. And that's what the app will do, God willing. And then um, in terms of the dispensers in every workplace, 
every washroom should have free dispensing in every single workplace um, of menstrual products without question. You know, if you've got one woman working in your workplace, then have a dispenser in your workplace. Um, that it's something that should have been done 50 years ago. And if it was a man's problem, it would have been. And um, and then and then finally, you know, the the um, the reproductive rights of women in the workplace needs to be a normal conversation. It should be in the way in the same way that every every kind of organisation, whether it's the the armed forces or whether it's a lawyer's office or whether it's a retail industry, they've been built around how men's bodies work. Um, and it's about time organisations started synchronising around how the systems within organisations synchronised how around how women's bodies work, whether it's to do with menstrual health or, or pregnancy or menopause, throughout the different phases that we go through, it needs to sink around us and allow for that without us being penalised and held back um, because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental human right and it's the, the, the human right that has been overlooked over and over again. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything you have and your story. I am so grateful that you've joined us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, no, it's just so great to have you. And please, could you share where people can um, find, their, find your book and also how they can follow you and keep up with all of the amazing things that you're doing? Wonderful. So uh, the book is on Amazon and uh, you can get the ebook and the paperback uh, on Amazon. You, there will soon be a, a, an audio book as well. So the website for Gift to Wellness is giftwellness.co.uk. And um, yeah, you know, use your purchase power to make a difference in in others' lives and in your own life as well. You know, we have this power as consumers to uh, to to choose brands that are doing good in the world, and 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 we need to you know not just go for the usual brands, uh, and and actually you know do what's good for us and for others. So giftwellness.co.uk. Um, please talk to your workplaces about getting your dispensers and drop us an email at workplaces at giftwellness.co.uk. And uh, periodpoverty.uk is our website for the Period Poverty Charity. So, um, you know, do whatever you can to help there and download the app, the Period Angels app and get started on that in your own community. Um, and we're on all social media, so you can find me on social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or um, Twitter and LinkedIn and so on. And you can find Gift Wellness and Period Poverty on there as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, thank you so much for sharing your story and your incredible career and all that you have done to make the world a better place, simply. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you so much. And, uh, and and may I wish everyone a lovely Christmas. And yeah, this makes a great gift. <laughs>
someone said that to me today actually oh well gift is a gift is a gift <laughs> you've got the marketing strategy there there you go <laughs> thank you so much Maya. thank you so much for joining us lots of love to you